We are in the New Testament book of Acts again this morning, specifically Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. If you turn there in your Bibles, that would be a very helpful thing to do. Acts 12, verses 1 to 17. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and the light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off, his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie up your sandals. So he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So when he went out and followed him, he did not know that what was done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which was open to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it's his angel. Now Peter continued knocking. (laughs) And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go and tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Very quickly, in helicopter fashion, I want to go over these verses to show you that, first of all, God saw Peter's trials and God sees your trials. That's what happened in the first four verses. The second point I want you to see, not only does God see our trials, God hears our prayers. And this is amazing how this all worked out. I mean, if you track Peter's involvement in the true story, Peter was sleeping in verses 5 and 6, and then Peter was obeying in verses 7 to 10, and then Peter came to himself and considered in verses 11 and 12. We'll come back to that in a minute. And Peter was knocking in verses 13 to 16, and Peter was declaring in verse 17. Well, that's Peter's track in the story. How about the servant girl, Rhoda? Let's see her track in the story. Rhoda 
answered the knock. That was verse 13. And Noda, Rhoda um, was announcing and she was insisting, verses 14 and 15. And then one of the ones I want to focus on is the group of Christians who were constantly praying for Peter to get out of jail. Let's call them the prayer meeting. What do we see about the prayer meeting in this story? Well, we see a few things. The prayer group was praying in verses 5 and 12. The prayer group was doubting in the first part of verse 15. The prayer group was discounting in the second part of verse 15. And the prayer group was marveling in verse 16. Do you know when a prayer meeting at Calvary Bible Church can become embarrassing? When those who pray don't expect God will answer. That's embarrassing. And this prayer group was praying. That wasn't the problem. They weren't believing God would answer their prayers and get Peter out of jail. We see that clearly in this story. I've told you before about the drought in the Midwestern plains of the United States without rain for so long. It was an agricultural community. They were losing money because the crops were dying without rain. And a church called a special prayer meeting for rain. But only one sister in Christ came to the prayer meeting with an umbrella. We don't want to be... We don't want to be the person at a prayer meeting that really doesn't believe God can answer a prayer. We don't want to be that person. It says something about doubt and prayer in a couple of verses I want to share with you. The first is 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So when we pray in accordance with God's will, the verses say, you can know you'll have your petitions answered if you're praying according to God's will. Matthew 21, verses 21 to 22 has more on this. So Jesus answered and said to them, assuredly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, if you have faith and do not doubt, Jesus said, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, Whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. And then James 1, verses 5 to 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You can see that the New Testament links faith with answered prayer and links doubt with unanswered prayer. But there's more to see here in this story. In our true story reported in the text we've read, we see a lot of God's grace. Do you know why? Because that little prayer meeting 
really didn't have faith that Peter could be released. And it says in those verses I've read that you don't expect any answer from God if you have doubt, but God gave them an answer anyway. They prayed with doubt in God, but God graciously answered their prayers even though he knew perfectly they were offered to him in doubt. I'm so glad that in my life there are times I can point to when I prayed in doubt and God graciously answered me anyway. The prayer meeting participants in our story clearly doubted that their prayers for Peter's deliverance could or would be answered and because Rhoda had to insist that their prayers were answered when they were answered in verse 15. And the prayer meeting must have doubted their prayers for Peter's release. Why else would they have said of the miracle's first witness, Rhoda, essentially, you're nuts. That's the Rob Elliott paraphrased version. Essentially said, you're nuts. Clearly doubt was fueling the thing at that point. And then, when she insisted that she wasn't nuts and that he was at the gate, when they, they then, dis, they just didn't doubt, they discounted the miracle. <laughs> they, they discounted it to say, oh, it's just his angel. This is angel. Might, his voice might sound like him, he might look like him, but it's just his angel. But as I say, God chose in grace and mercy to give those doubting prayer meeting people answers to prayer. And remember, the general principle of James 5, one, or rather 1, 5 to 8 that I've just read the verse, the general principle is prayer that doubts is prayer that isn't answered. Generally speaking, that's how it works in God's economy. But here in this true story, they prayed with doubt, and yet God was gracious to answer their prayers anyway. I have a similar modern story of a doubting church that had a doubting prayer meeting in Michigan. There was a church building that was right beside a bar, a loud bar. And they prayed for months that God would shut down the bar In due time, there was a lightning storm, hit the bar, burned it to the ground. And the owner of the bar sued the church. And then the church argued before the magistrate that they had nothing to do with the fire in the bar. And then the judge said, whatever verdict I render... One thing is clear to everybody. The bar owner believes in prayer and the church doesn't. We want to pray with faith. We don't want to have any embarrassing prayer meetings at Calvary Bible Church. We want to pray in faith, believing. And do you know one important way that we will pray with faith is that we must get, understand what's going on around us. Do you know when a believer gets it? 
Look at verses 11 and 12, would you? And when Peter had come to himself, what does that mean? We have to figure out what that means. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Now watch the next thing. So when he had considered this, how he came to understand and to get what was going on in his life. First of all, verse 11, he had to come to himself. And second, in verse 12, he had to consider the facts. Peter got it when he came to himself, as recorded in verse 11, and when he properly considered the things which had happened to him in verse 12. You might say <laughs> that eventually it all dawned on Peter. The Greek verb, which is translated considered, synodon. Synodon means to see together and at the same time. Peter had to see what was going on together and at the same time. We might say that Peter had to connect the dots. He had to get the big picture. He had to put things together. Or we could say he had to get it. And so when, in verse 11, when he had come to himself, and then in verse 12, and had considered this, then he got it. Then he got it. Right after the miracle jailbreak, Peter needed some time to sort things out. Understandably, he needed some time to connect the dots, to get the big picture, to put things together, and to get it. On the very same night of the first steps that Herod wanted him to go and take toward execution, on the very same night when Herod planned to take him out to execute him, verse 6, God sent his angel to forever change King Herod's plan for Peter. And Peter had to be shocked out of sleep when he was whisked out of jail. An angel shone God's light and it burst into the dark jail cell and the soldier guards went either blind and or paralyzed and his heavy chains fell off of him and he could walk and he was no longer tethered to those guards. <laughs> it didn't all happen so fast. So fast that initially Peter thought it was a vision Eventually he came to himself and eventually he considered and saw all the things at the same time. Peter has some pretty good reasons for being confused and unsure. I mean, anyone would have been dazed and dazzled by what the angel did that night. And on top of that, Peter was freed, but he had to fast find secure shelter because he could be rearrested. And if they wanted to rearrest him to execute him before, they could still want to arrest him and execute him again. So there he was at the gate of the city, free, but on his mind he probably knew he had to find a place to get in out of, out of the sight of soldiers. He needed shelter. He needed somewhere to go that was safe. And so... He had got a good reason to be dazzled and confused. But for Peter, King Herod's intention was execution because he had executed James, the brother of John, not too much previous, and it pleased the Jews that he did it. And is a sick man, 
that would execute another man simply because a previous execution pleased a populace of people. That's sick. It's heartless and it's self-serving. Now, there are plenty of persons in the Bible who came to the place of needing to come to themselves and then to the place of needing to consider so as to connect the important dots of their lives. Let me just say that typically we all have to come to consider some things in our lives and we all need to put the things together, see the same things at the same time. And the fact is that some of us do that well in certain cases and others of us do that poorly in cases. Let me give you some biblical examples of those persons who came to themselves and considered the dots in their lives poorly. Adam and Eve, King Saul, the generation of Israelites who died in the desert and were not allowed into the promised land, the fool and the scoffer in the book of Proverbs, Those are biblical examples of people who didn't consider properly, who didn't connect the dots of their lives in a correct way. But on the other hand, there are examples in the scriptures of persons who did come to consider their life circumstances well and to put things together to connect the dots of their lives. There were some people who did a good job with it. Esther, the prodigal son, Mary, the mother of Jesus. David, after Bathsheba. And of course, the supreme example of considering properly and connecting the dots well is the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thine be done, he said to the Father. I think what's most common, though, another category to doing it poorly to doing it well is the person like me and the person, I think, like all of you who it just depends on the situation. Sometimes we do it well and sometimes we do it poorly. (laughs) A A prime example of that is Prophet Jonah running the opposite direction from Nineveh, heading for Tarshish, Storm, they throw him overboard to calm the sea. A whale or a great fish swallows him alive. <laughs> you got a few dots to connect in the belly of a fish, don't you think? You got a few things to consider with the gastric juices of a great fish bleaching your skin, wouldn't you think? And so in Jonah chapter 2, he was connecting the dots. He was considering properly inside the fish. And it says in Jonah chapter 2, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol, that's the grave, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains, The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. And yet you have brought up my life from the pit. 
oh Lord my God. Seems to me that when he was in the fish and then when he was vomited by the fish onto the beach near Nineveh, he was considering things properly. He was connecting the dots accurately. That's good, Jonah. That's good. You're coming to yourself, Jonah. You're properly considering your circumstances. You're connecting the dots, Jonah, and that's good. Good seeing your life circumstances together at the same time in the smelly belly of the fish helped you to have good theology, Jonah. That's not the end of the story, is it? After Nineveh repented the largest Gentile revival in the Old Testament. After Nineveh repented and turned to the true God of the Jews, Jonah came to himself again, but this time he was not good at all, considering he was not good at all connecting the dots, and you know what happened. They're under the miracle shade plant. Jonah's hatred and prejudice and self-righteousness and anger all came out like poison out of his heart. A toxic, sinful emotions made Jonah willing to die. To get an understanding, the Ninevites were the most terrorizing people on earth at that point in in history. They made pyramids out of human heads. They were the most feared people in the world. And as a Jew, Jonah hated them. Jonah was terrorized by them. Jonah didn't didn't see how God's mercy or grace could possibly extend to those kind of people. Got any people like that? They don't make pyramids out of human heads, but you just doubt they'll ever turn to Christ. And frankly, you wouldn't say it out loud, but you don't like them. Got any people like that? Listen to how poorly Jonah considered things when he was in free and clear out of the fish's belly, having discharged his short sermon to Nineveh and them all repenting. And he's under this tree, this, this nut tree, this plant like a gourd that God raised up quickly to give him shade. And this is what it says in Jonah 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. He was angry at repentance and faith being expressed in the true and living God by head-building pyramid people. He, he was angry that they got right with God. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? May I interject? Wasn't that why I ran away from you, God? Didn't have a good reason to run away from you to try to not do this mission because I knew you'd forgive them. I know you to be a merciful God, and I don't like that because I hate the Ninevites. I hate them. 
And then he says, therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. He had good theology and lousy practice. He believed the right things about God, but it didn't change his life. It didn't change out a hateful heart for a compassionate heart. It didn't change out a prejudicial heart for a loving heart. For I know that you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Wow. He'd rather have a funeral service than shake anybody's hand in Nineveh who had come to God in faith. We all need to consider what's going on in our lives. We all need to see, see all the same things at the same time in our lives and connect the dots. God help us to do that properly so that we will love who God loves. We will help who God helps. We will share the gospel with those the Lord wants us to share the gospel with. And that we will be thrilled that God relents of his wrath because we realize that we deserved his wrath too. So we have no problem with his relenting of his wrath on someone else, right? God help us to consider our lives, to see all the circumstances and play in our lives at any time, to see all those things with God's help at the same time so we can connect the dots and so that we won't be a Jonah. when a prayer meeting got embarrassing. <laughs> Pray with faith. And don't be surprised when God answers the prayer. Some of you have been praying for things for a long time. A spouse, a child, a disease. Keep praying in faith. Keep trusting God in prayer. And then don't be surprised when he answers. Thank you for your good attention to God's word this morning. You're a great congregation. I love you. And I know God is going to keep working in our lives as we grow our faith muscle and shrink our doubt muscle. Lord, please just do just that. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray with faith. Uh, teach us to consider the details of our lives at any given moment. Help us to connect the dots, to see all those things in our, in our lives at the same time so that we can see what you're doing so that we can trust you in our prayer meetings 
and in our private prayer closets. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen.